0: a fortnightly podcast about some great stealth-slash-stealthy video games, and also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game, and we discuss whether said game's stealth and its boom-boom are up to snuff. My name is Colm O'Hearn, and joining me on this episode is... Ah, my head! It's Adam Carroll. (laughs) Good evening. And alongside him is, well... It's usually Josh Wise, but sadly, Josh Wise has passed away. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. He's not. He's here. It's Josh Wise.
1: Hello. I understand these references and enjoy them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you do. And the people at home, I'm sure if they played the game that we played over the last fortnight, would also understand these references. But before we discuss the game that we are here to discuss today, we do need to get into the right headspace. And that, of course, means looking at what was happening in the world on and around the date that today's game came out. So, lads, grab your party hats, blowers, confetti, and what have you, because... Tonight, Tonight, we're we're going to party like like it's September 3rd, 2004. 2004. One day after... On the 4th of September, ITV would air the first episode of a TV show that would air for 14 years. And in those first eight or so years, it was an unstoppable monster. Yes, obviously. I'm talking about Simon Cowell's The X Factor. A couple of days later, on the 9th of September, NBC in America would also begin airing a tv show and sort of like the way the x factor was born from pop idol slash pop stars this nbc tv show was a spin-off it was the friends spin-off joey oh wow not not as successful as the x factor it's fair to say
1: no, but it did have um, Adrian from um, Adriana Sopranos. from The Sopranos. Yes. Yeah, that was that was the notable thing about that show, and she's good. So you know, going
0: back to the world of music, <laughs> topping the American charts for the third week on the trot was Terror Group with a song called Lean Back. I have no idea who the group is or what that (laughs) song is. In the UK, (laughs) a new entry from a man that had a hell of an early 2000s period. This man I most certainly do know. It was, God, this really is early 2000s. It was Texan rapper slash singer Nelly with his double A-side single My Place slash flap your wings can't remember either song but god do i know nelly in movies americans were uh, filling their cinemas to watch the dreadful seth green fronted comedy without a paddle oh
2: Oh, i saw it in edinburgh Uh, why (laughs) (laughs) i was i was on my holly bobs and that was what was in the cinema Famous. it's a good enough answer yeah Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly
0: yeah. in the UK however topping the box office was a film a different film and one that I have a real soft spot for it was the Catherine Zeta-Jones and Tom Hanks vehicle directed by Steven Spielberg it was The Terminal
1: oh it's a good 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 movie that a love, lovely film
0: um, so yes that was happening in the world on and around the 3rd of September, 2004. So now, let's discuss the game that came out on that date in a segment we like to call Back of the Box. This podcast is the companion piece to our last episode because the game we're talking about today is Second Sight. Because obviously we spoke about PSYOPs the Mindgate Conspiracy on the last episode and those two games will be just forever intertwined and we will compare them throughout, no doubt. Now, some of you out there might be wondering, what is Second Sight? Well, uh, yeah, do you remember the game I, I just told you about? The one we spoke about in the last episode? The... the this is like that. It's a third-person game where you manipulate the environment and people with psychic powers. It's the same game, <laughs> all right? So that's that's what this one is. With subtle differences. Ooh, we'll, we'll give you further as we go on. Um, <laughs> some platforms and release dates for you. As I said, yes, this one came out first in Europe on the 3rd of September, 2004, to PS2, Xbox, and GameCube, and then came out uh, to uh it came out in North America on those platforms on the 21st of September and uh, a couple of months after it came to PC in February of 2005 in Europe on the 4th and on the 18th of February 2005 in North America this is the part of the show then where we look at the back of the physical box and this isn't a terribly interesting one i won't lie it's pretty straightforward. There are a couple of things, though, where you get your little bullet points here in the bottom right of the box. There's certain things that maybe I don't know. Like, there's one point here where on the back of the box it says the players will be able to quote bend reality to your will with fully interactive ragdoll physics. Ah.
1: I don't, I don't know if I can bend reality to my will, <laughs> per se. No, not really. There's a nice little visual effect where reality sort of bends when you use one of the powers, but it really is just a visual effect. So, a bit misleading.
0: So that is the back of your physical box for Second Sight. So this then is the part of our back-of-the-box segment where I recap the story for you. And wah wah wee what a story to recap. So... It begins with a bald man who has giant forearms waking up in some sort of medical <laughs> facility with no memory of how he got there, what's going on, or who he is. Now, handily, you do find out pretty quickly that this man is called John Vatik, and he is a doctor with an interest in paranormal and psychic phenomena, and that interest is mainly in debunking them. Now, since regaining consciousness, he has actually realised that he has gained... Psychic abilities himself. Psychic abilities, you know, he, he previously did not have, obviously. We know he didn't have the powers because, yeah, while he's going around the facility, he has a flashback to six months prior. And this happens all the way throughout the game. Dual timelines. In this six months ago period, we discovered that Vatik was recruited by the US government to be a part of a Marines task force called Winter Ice. Uh, we're also, around this period, introduced to the hard-ass... Colonel Stark and the psychic Jane Wilde. There are other characters there, but they don't matter. (laughs) Anyway, Winter Ice's mission is to head for uh, Siberia to A, find out what sort of psychic research a Russian scientist called Victor Grienko has been getting up to over there, and B, find out why this same scientist is seeking political asylum to the states. Then, in the present... I know, there's a lot of jumping around here now, stay, stay, stay up with me. <laughs> in the present, after finding a records room, John Vatick discovers that the psychic I just mentioned, Jane Wilde, well, she was killed in action. Oh my God. Flashback again? And Winter Ice are infiltrating a building that uh, they believe houses Grienko. when Jane Wilde goes rogue and she chases after a very blue ghost child that runs off in the, dis- in the distance. Vatic runs after her and essentially saves her life they also discover that Grienko is in a place called Dubrensk, so the team heads that away. Back to the present once more, and the record that Vatik was looking at that said Jane was dead now says that Jane is incarcerated in, yes, regular stealth boom-boom listeners will know what's coming... An insane asylum. I mean, every fucking game we play. Uh, anyway, her her record changed from dead to incarcerated. Ooh, that's a bit spooky, isn't it? Anyway... Off to the asylum, where Vatik breaks a very fragile Jane Wilde out of her cell. And John asks her where the colonel is, and Jane says that the colonel is dead. I think she even, she says something like, they shot him, you were there, John. Flashback again to a mission, the mission, where they shot him. Vatic was there, but the colonel, he did not die. No, no, no it should be noted that the folks shooting at both John and the Colonel were US special forces ooh the plot thickens also during this fight a blue ghost child <laughs> gives Vatic his psychic powers so that's cool back in the present again and Jane Wilde changes her story telling Vatic that Colonel Stark is alive and in hiding so the two make their way to Stark's place in Queens, New York and after doing some odd jobs for some of the most unconvincing gang members you're ever going to encounter in a, in a video game uh, Vatick meets up with Stark in Stark's hideout. Stark tells Vatik that the secondary characters of Winter Ice were killed on the mission six months ago. Flashback to six months ago where where, uh, Winter Ice have tracked Grenko to a village called Dubrensk. Winter Ice were ambushed then by the same people that tried to kill Stark and Vatik once again like he did Stark he saves everyone from death. Weird, huh? Anyway, in the present, Stark tells Vatik that a guy called Silas Hansen, who is the head of the NSE, which is a CIA type, and uh, as the player, you, you've seen Hansen kind of pop up every now and again, but this is when he's like, uh, being kind of, uh, explained who he is, I suppose. But yeah, Stark tells Vatik that this guy, Silas Hansen, was stealing the research of Grienko. Uh, there was also some experimentation on kids that lived in Dubrensk, and it's all, oh, they were using the kids as guinea pigs, the sick bastards. Uh, Vadik then makes his way to NSC HQ in New Jersey to put a stop to all of this. And it's here where he discovers that Hansen is using Greynko's research to genetically engineer a sort of psychic super soldier. In another flashback, Vadik, who is in Dubrensk, Uh, he's saving some of the psychic children from the uh, horrible experimentation it should be noted actually uh, some of these kids they've had a really rough paper round they look about 50 in the face but whatever (laughs) John saves them he's a good guy flash forward again back to the NSE and Vanek finds Hansen but Hansen says oh you're too late Uh, you can't change the past uh, and then Vatic says, Oh, you're wrong. I can, you fucker. Flashback, well, sort of flashback, I suppose, because, okay, s- stay with me. Flashback to the start of the game where John Vatic is looking at John Vatic waking up in the medical facility. Things get funky, all right? So the Vatic waking up tells the Vatic that's standing over him that what he is seeing isn't a flashback. It's actually a precognition, a look into one potential future. So what we thought were flashbacks to 6 months ago in Dubrensk actually show the present. That that's what's happening now and what we thought of as the present is actually a version of the future. So then we flash present, I guess. To Vatic in Dubrensk, who frees more psychic children, and uh, they all gang up on the dastardly Hansen, who ultimately meets his demise when some of the kids, or well, not even the kids, some of the experiments, I suppose, these psychic super soldiers that he was working on, they eat him, I think. That's what it looks like anyway. I don't know. Uh, anyway, he, he dies, and our heroes win. So, Vatic, Stark, and Wilde, the three characters who matter in Winter Ice, are all helicoptered out of there. As, yes, the heroes who saved the day. And that is the story of Second Sight. So, yes, who made Second Sight then? This is where we chat about the developer. And the developer of this one was Free Radical Design, a company set up in early 1999 in Nottingham, England. At the beginning, there were five. You had composer Graham Norgate, artists Carl Hilton and Lee Ray, uh, programmer Steve Ellis, and designer David Doak these lads had known, well, they'd they'd known each other for quite some time as they worked together at one of the most storied video game developers of all time, Rare. Now, right now isn't the time to talk about Rare because it's something we'll possibly discuss at another time, but the two most celebrated games these these five lads would have cut their teeth on before setting up Free Radical Design would have been GoldenEye 007 and Perfect Dark. As I say, Perhaps we could talk Rare in a Joanna Dark episode in the future. So anyway, back to the embryonic stages of Free Radicals. So after the success of GoldenEye, gears were turning. Uh, this group of developers thought they'd be able to raise some capital for their own game. So after discussing the prospect throughout 1998, they left Rare uh, late that year. Even without a game... They met with a number of publishers, uh, eventually agreeing a deal with IDOS. And on the 1st of April 1999, Free Radical moved into their new office and got cracking on their very first game, Second Sight. Or it was meant to be the studio's first game because speaking to Destructoid in 2011, Free Radical artist Carl Hilton said, quote,
2: Originally Second Sight had a working title of Redemption and was initially intended to be the first game developed by Free Radical Design. When the launch of the PS2 moved back slightly, we realised there was an opportunity to get a less narratively complex multiplayer game out in time for launch. And so at that point, Redemption was put on hold while we, while we developed our first game.
0: In addition to that, speaking to Eurogamer in 2012, artist Lee Ray gave a bit more on what held up
1: Second Sight. He said, quote, Redemption was the plan, then Ian Livingston being the fighting fantasy freak that he is, said, yeah, we'll do it if it has demons in it. He was obsessed with demons. <laughs> there's, a bit, there's a bit of arguing and discussions about what exactly this game was going to be and in that time steve had banged out a very good first person shooter engine so now instead of all that talking we could be cracking on with something their first game
0: would eventually be a first person shooter it had two different working titles from what i could find multiplayer shooter uh, was one and the other multiplayer game upon release though they said you know what we won't go for either of those. What we we'll call it is time splitters. To rewind a touch, though, IDAS were not happy when they first saw "quote unquote" multiplayer game. Co-founder and programmer Steve Ellis told VG24Seven in January 2013,
2: "Quote: We threw together a quick prototype and showed it to IDAS. Initially, they declined it, preferring that we continue to work on Redemption." the game that we had signed with them. Undeterred by this, however, we continued to work on it on on the side and and showed it again to them in November 99. This time they were convinced and we agreed to make Time Splitters our first game, aiming for a PS2 launch with Redemption to follow in 2002.
0: The budget they got for the game was modest, but the 18-person team got to work. Co-founder David Oak told Eurogamer in 2012 that, quote,
1: We had a lot to prove. It was tremendously exciting. I remember getting up and just being so keen to get to work. It felt like a real moonshot, you know. And everyone who joined was really excited to be on board. Everyone pulled together. The artists and animators were sitting, testing it until the 11th hour. In the year 2000,
0: Time Splitters launched as a
1: PlayStation
0: 2 launch game. And it launched to critical success, with many praising the, the humour, the art style, the gameplay... And it sold over 1 million copies. So IDOS were delighted, but Free Radical weren't delighted. As Carl Hilton told Eurogamer, quote,
2: The sales figures were good enough, but Goldeneye had sold 8 million. That was our first experience. We were slightly naive and slightly disappointed.
0: The plan was to begin work on redemption at this point, but... Idos wanted more time splitters. So Free Radical got to work on the sequel immediately after shipping the first game. It had a development time of 23 months, launching in October 2022. And speaking to Video Gamer and... What's someone called... Josh Wise? (laughs) I I see what you've done here. In August 2018, co-founder and writer
1: David Doakes said, quote... The second game was what we thought the first game should have been it was all the ideas we'd had along the way Steve Ellis told Eurogamer in 2012 that quote that was the high point for the company the
2: game that was most like what we wanted to do given infinite resources it's what we would have done more of
0: Timespickers 2 sold over 2 million copies across PS2 Gamecube and Xbox and it was an even bigger critical hit and the first one. In our timeline we won't get to chat more of the series as for their next game they would finally get to Redemption or Second Sight. In fact uh, the name wasn't the only thing that's changed during development uh, it also went from first person to third person. According to Steve
1: Ellis in that 2013
0: VG247 interview
1: he said quote To distance it from time splitters And, because we'd been playing Metal Gear Solid, we decided to change it to third person.
0: But it was largely still the same game IDOS had signed in 1999. However, IDOS wouldn't actually end up publishing. Uh, It had changed hands and was now to be published by Activision. Until, again, it wasn't. That relationship broke down in November 2003, when, as
2: Steve Ellis puts it, quote, Activision decided they didn't like UK development anymore. They didn't like external development anymore, and they didn't like developer-owned IP anymore. Bad for us, because we ticked every box. On that day, I think they canned 10 projects, and in the process, put some companies out of business. They didn't put free
0: radical out of business, though. As Ellis said in that quote, they did own Second Sight, so that meant they could shop it to a new publisher. And they would get one in the form of Codemasters. Uh, David Doak said this to Eurogamer on the relationship,
1: quote... At that time they had their own problems and the game came to them nearly finished so they wanted to get it out as quickly as possible on a shoestring. We desperately needed someone to publish it uh, and they needed filler. That was it. Their Lara was Colin McRae. Every publisher has one.
0: There was one other issue with the launch of Second Sight three months prior. The very... Very similar, psyops, the mindgate conspiracy launched. There are differences, obviously. Yeah, we will get into that. But they were both games where you use psychic mind powers. You know, a lot of people think of times where this happens in films, where two similar films come out around the same time. You've Deep Impact and Armageddon, Dante's Peak and Volcano. It's countless, countless examples. But I mean, even in games like the infamous and Prototype or. Blur and split second. This was just another time this happened. Like, two developers, independently of each other, were making two games where you were a psychic superhero. So, speaking to Destructoid in 2011, free radical artist Carl Hilton said this on PSYOP's The Mindgate Conspiracy.
2: Quote, We were certainly a little surprised when we first heard about it, but you always have to allow for competitors arriving in your market space, whether deliberately or coincidentally. We didn't let PSYOPs influence Second Sight in any way as we were confident that we were making what was sufficiently different. Despite some of the higher level similarities, it's impossible to say whether PSYOPs affected our sales or not. In one sense, it was good to have the extra coverage that the two games competing with each other generated.
0: So those are some of the thoughts in hindsight, but we'll get into what they were thinking at the time at least publicly, later in the podcast. And that is the story of Free Radical Design up until the launch of Second Sight. So the publisher then, as already mentioned, Second Sight was published by Codemasters, eventually. So here we have yet another company that has its roots much further back than today. It was established in England in October 1986. But to see its beginnings, I guess you have to go to Vancouver, Canada. Now, as I sometimes mention, I try not to go as in-depth on publishers as I do developers, but I suppose Codemasters were both, but whatever. Look, I'll crack on. Richard and David Darling were two English schoolboys living in Canada and learning to make games. One of the people that encouraged this was their dad, James Darling, who allowed them to learn on his Commodore computer at the weekends. In 1983, and after teaming up with their school friend Michael Hybert, they set up Galactic Software and started selling some of their own games. They were only 16 years of age. Staggering the amount of like, teenage businessmen we talk about on this podcast. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, The darlings' careers uh, took off soon after, as they quit their schooling, after picking up jobs at Mastertronic. This is where they started making budget video games. Some... I'm reliably informed because, you know, I guess I didn't live through it. Uh, But yes, some of these pretty well-known budget games. Either way, by the time the Darlings were 17 years of age, they had made £200,000. By 1986... The darlings had a 50% share in Mastertronic, but they wanted more. Uh, So at 19, they sold up and established Codemasters. It was a family operation. They'd make the games. Their dad would look after the business. And their sister was working, looking after the company's admin. Uh, Budget Games was what they knew from Mastertronic. So they went all in under the Codemasters banner. They aimed to make games that were as good as fully priced ones while undercutting the fully priced ones. So they mightn't make as much at first, but you know, they're they're getting their name out there and they're creating fans who are going to hopefully buy more games. But after a time, they knew they needed others to produce more games for them if this venture was going to be a success. So effectively, they needed to become a publisher as well as a developer. And I'm not going to go through every game, uh, many of which were simulators, Uh, But, you know, there there were lots. And in fact, I've spoken about a portion of Codemasters history from this time during our Chicken Run episode from late last year when I went on about the Oliver Twins, famous for Dizzy, of course. So have a listen to that for some more on what Codemasters was releasing around this time. In the 90s, Codemasters, uh, well, they began to make the jump to 8 and 16-bit machines. Two of their biggest successes were Pete Sampras Tennis and probably what was my first exposure to them, which was Micro Machines on the Mega Drive. Great. Another success the company had in 1990 was the Game Genie. Now, this is an episode in in and of itself, but for lack of time, the first Game Genie was a device created for the Nintendo Entertainment System, which would allow players to manipulate their games. In layman's terms, people, players could cheat with a Game Genie. Uh, there was a court case here um, because Nintendo were raging. They were like, you can't do that. Well, Nintendo lost the case. Um, as I say, it's it's a really interesting thing in and of itself, but, you know, we, we don't have time to get in the weeds on that one. I said this would be a whistle-stop tour, so I'm just going to throw out some more games that Codemasters published through the 90s and into the early 2000s. Brian Lara Cricket, John Loma Rugby, Toka Touring Car Championship, Colin McRae Rally, Music. Oh, I loved music. That's a few uh, games that Cold Masters were putting out. So that is your brief history of the publisher up until the launch of Second Sight. Sales-wise then, I couldn't find a reliable exact figure. The closest I found in some articles, like the Destructoid one I was quoting from earlier and we mentioned earlier, was that the game sold close to 1 million copies sometime after launch. It's all quite wishy-washy, but that's the best I could find. Critical reception, though, I can tell you that. On PC, uh, this one has a Metacritic score of 73. On uh, PS2, it has a Metacritic score, also 73. On Xbox, a Metacritic score of 75. And on GameCube, a Metacritic score of 77. So if you want the quintessential second-sight experience, go dig your GameCube out of the attic. And that is your second sight, Back of the Box. So, what we're going to do now is we are going to move to the marketing and press coverage portion of this podcast. But what you're going to do right now is have a listen to uh, some audio from the E3 2004 second sight trailer, which would have been the general public's first look at this game and after you've heard that audio the three of us are going to come back and we're going to talk about the marketing and press coverage of Second Size. so take a listen to that and then we will be right back
2: what, what happened?
1: hello John good to see you again I need, I need to remember he's a psychopath sweet what'd he do? you saved my life Dad. thank you
2: Look at me! I'm your friend.
1: you I'm the only friend you have left. You think you can hear it? Dane Wilde killed in action? What the...
2: They're all dead.
1: You did that!
2: No.
0: You're just... Confused. They killed each other! They are frightened!
1: You! You are like Chief. They will not hurt you. You must go alone. Maybe.
2: Jesus. <laughs> colonel, I'm in a squad now? We need to find the Colonel. The Colonel's alive. Got you, Astar. U.S.
0: Marines. You can't. Oh, That'll Where is it? You can't stop us now. We have samples all over the country.
2: Meet Jane Wild, Dr. Bennett.
1: What have they been thinking to get away with? Keep going,
0: All right, then, let us chat some advertising, some marketing for Second Sight. And let us discuss what the people just heard, which, yes, was that E3 2004 Second Sight trailer. So this would have been somewhere between the 11th of May and 14th of May. I don't know when, but that's when E3 happened that year. But yeah, but Josh, when you look at that trailer, what are your initial
1: thoughts? I'm all over it. I bloody love it. I think that's a really, really good trailer. And I think better, better, and this will happen throughout this episode an awful lot, uh, better than the PsyOps trailer. And I don't remember this trailer, but I thought it was really good. It was a trailer of two halves. I sort of, the the story was intriguing. It was well sort of edited and cut together. I thought, if I knew nothing of Second Sight, this would intrigue. And then I thought, blimey, this is going on a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm I'm not a big fan of a long trailer, but then I sort of realised at the back end, they were like, right, you've had your story, now have the gameplay and uh, sort of rattling through all the different powers and stuff. It, bloody good trailer.
2: What about you, Adam, when you look at this? Um, because we've played PsyOps and Second Sight pretty much back to back, I think we've kind of gained some sort of Psy powers of some sort because... What Josh said uh, oh is no. <laughs> the complete opposite of what I'm gonna say, which is I don't think this trailer is good at all. And I wait before the PsyOps trailer.
0: <laughs> because
2: I, I, I don't know. Look, don't get me wrong. Like I think the second side trailer is grand. I like when you look when we watch these trailers, I always get excited when we when we go get around to the trailer part of this, because you've been through the game, here's the trailer, and you have to think back of how you'd feel when you'd see it. For me. It's a, it's a, it's a bland trailer for me, you know, it's just a bit bland. I don't really get the whole, like, introducing each character and putting their name on. I'm like, I don't fucking know these characters if you're watching this day one. I don't know what's going on. And it's not, it's just not as cool or as, like, energetic as the PsyOps trailer. No, Given Arthur Baxwood, you also got the banging track by Cold playing over that.
1: Yeah, but I mean, like, and that's the real reason, let's be honest. You're just, <laughs> you're just upset that this doesn't have with my mind by Cold. If it had that, you'd be loving it. Look, we we'll get more into it, but I just think,
2: like, the trailer itself wouldn't sell me. It really wouldn't, which is unusual because I did kind of get around this game first before PSYOPs.
0: I'm probably more in line with your thinking, Adam. I think it's okay. I think I think it's it's overblown. <laughs> There's a lot of clips of dialogue from the game, but that don't really weave a narrative. It's just like, ooh, interesting, weird stuff. Ooh, I'm saying a weird thing. <laughs> and it, it's somewhat intriguing in that regard, I guess, but also I am going, you're all just kind of saying uh, uh, disparate things that I feel aren't meshing all that well. And the bit where they have... So to to embellish the point that you made, Adam. So I don't know. A part of the way through the trailer, <laughs> yeah, they'll just have like uh, they'll they'll introduce the characters and they will have whatever images of John Vatic and text on screen saying <laughs> John Vatic, and then they'll have Colonel Stark, and it'll be Colonel Stark, and it's like. <laughs> who are, I don't it know who these no people sense. are Like, what? like this this, is, this isn't Second Sight 4 This is Second Sight Yeah. <laughs> now there weren't many Second Sight trailers Out there But there was one thing And I am so happy I found this Something called Second Sight Behind the Scenes At Free Radical Design oh, boy. Before we play any clips from this Please come with me On this journey So firstly this second site behind the scenes at Free Radical Design. This was a DVD that featured, well, I, uh, that featured. I think this was it. It was a twenty-minute feature on the making of the game. I found a listing for it on eBay, which shows that it is separate to the game. Like it didn't, this didn't come with the game. I don't believe so. I don't. Uh, I don't think they charged for it or whatever. Like, it comes in one of those small cardboard sleeves, if you remember them. Yeah, yeah. But I I can confirm that's my thinking. This next part also contains some guesswork, but I have to get this off my chest. So I found this because it was on a YouTube channel. A YouTube channel uploaded it, thankfully. Now, this YouTube channel is at Germain Films. Now, the writer, producer, and director of this second site. Twenty-minute feature is someone called Germaine Julien. In the About section of the YouTube channel, you can read, "quote the creative work of Germaine Julien, one of Britain's best undiscovered directing talents." <laughs> so I am going to assume that this YouTube channel is quite possibly the account of Germaine Julien. <laughs> <laughs> the writer, producer, and director. Now, th- this was uploaded a long time ago. Like, this, this second site behind the scenes feature, it's split into two for whatever reason. It was uploaded in 2010. So, you know, maybe Jermaine Julien has gone on to do other things. Well, as far as I can tell, uh, uh, like, which is Googling and checking IMDb. <laughs> so it's not like I've put in extensive research, all right? But I think... Jermaine Julien has gone on to do some other things, such as be an assistant director on Holby City, Casualty, Andy Stenders. (laughs) And he has directed four episodes of BBC cozy mystery show Death in Paradise. Oh, bloody
1: love (laughs) Death in Paradise. Well, then you bloody love the creative work of Jermaine Julien. Brilliant. That show has an amazing theme tune, although I don't know if, if Jermaine would have had anything to
0: blah, do with it. Blah, And <laughs> you know what's amazing about it is? It always kicks in after someone has been brutally murdered. Someone's just been
1: br- killed with an ice pick, and it's like <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> It's
0: amazing. So Jermaine, if that is you, if that is the same Jermaine Julien, thank you very
1: much. Absolute hero. Yeah. Now to
0: actually talk about the (laughs) the documentary itself, the first clip I wanted to play from it is because I wanted to, uh, I know you two, you you know, you watched it, but for the people at home, I want them, as I sometimes say at the start, I want them to get into the right headspace as to how grand this documentary was. Like... (laughs) I did want to play the the intro. This is the, I think, yeah, I think it's the first thing you hear when you press play. So, this is again for a 20 minute feature on Second Sight, the video game about the psychic superhero man. So, take a listen to this.
2: As you walk along in your average day, there is much you take for granted the clothes on your back, your everyday journey from A to B, even your identity. Now stop for a second, and imagine what it would be like if you woke up one day and all that was gone. Your name, your identity, everything that forms the fabric of your life. You've just entered a day in the life of Second Sight's lead character, John Vatic. Over the next 20 minutes, you will have exclusive behind-the-scenes access to the production team that have worked tirelessly over the last two and a half years to give you Second Sight.
0: Fuck yes. Oh, fantastic. And
2: also, let's fucking go.
0: Narrated by Tom Clark Hill, who is Colonel Stark in Second Sight. Now, there are, I do have a couple of more clips, uh, and this is where the visual component is certainly being lost somewhat. But uh, this next clip is of writer David Doak uh, mentioning how important the story was for the game and how they built Second Sight around the narrative and there are some quite distracting whoosh and wah like big sound effects <laughs> um, in this clip and just throughout the entire 20 minutes uh, but we, we'll talk about all that in a sec uh, yeah here is David Doak on the importance of story Second Sight the
1: whole thing was built around this narrative structure and story from the start so going into that project That was a major goal, was let's make sure we do the story really, really well. Also by that stage, because the company had matured and grown in experience and things, um, Timespitters 2 was the first time we'd done really proper kind of cinematic uh, bookending cutscenes to the levels. Uh, Second Sight, that was a prerequisite for doing it, was that every level would
2: have to have an in-and-out cutscene, defining it and pushing the story along. There is
0: definitely something lost without the visual element because I think during that I might have even cut it shortened it a bit down in the edit I think it's there where the camera kind of goes up to David Doak's face and then it like flashes white and he flicks his flowing hair behind <laughs> him
1: and then it like comes
0: back to the talking head. It's a very strange edit, but I am all about it's,
1: it. Yeah, it's nuts. No, it's like a bloody L'Oreal advert, but with some sort of n- weird colour filters on it. It's, it's bizarre. But
0: yeah, I mean, this is, you know, one of the big differences, I guess, and we will talk about it throughout. One of the big differences between this and PsyOps is how, how, I guess, free radically we're seeing the narrative as paramount to the entirety of Second Sight. Whereas... It didn't really seem the same for, say, PSYOPs. Another clip here. Uh, This is character artist Ben Newman talking about how Free Radical didn't want to replicate the Time Splitters art style. Second Sight was more serious, so by God, their art was going to have a more serious look. So take a listen to this.
1: The idea for the characters in Second Sight was to make them a lot more realistic than the ones in previous games we worked on. Um, we wanted to steer away from the cartoony style and the serious nature of the story works better with a more realistic style of character. So that's what we we're trying to aim for, while still keeping the stylization that our company is recognized for. There were difficulties in swapping from a more stylized approach to a more realistic approach, because obviously, because you're trying to copy the real world, you've got to be a lot more spot on. You can't afford to have little flourishes and things that you wouldn't see in the real world.
0: I think Second Sight's art style is pretty close to the Time Splitter's yeah, art style. I'm
1: really bloody glad you said that because I, I was listening to that clip sort of, you know, sort of nodding along and then just sort of going, but hang on, it, it, it's the same. It's big heads and big hands. Yeah, it's big, big, chunky comic book. You know, sort of like late 90s, noughties, chunkified, sort of like the artwork on the front covers of Gorilla's albums. Like, it's that. Like, yeah. I mean, I guess the colours, a bit toned down, but the actual design's very comic booky. I
0: think. Uh, another clip here. This is composer Graham Norgate on the biggest inspiration behind Second Sight's music. And it's one that, even after playing the game, I'm still struggling to hear myself, but maybe you two can uh, maybe put me right. So, yeah, to first, take a listen
1: to this. When I started writing the music, I, um, I watched a lot of films that were pertinent to the game we were making, but the one that really stuck in my mind was uh, The Shining. Although the film itself isn't very similar to the game we are making, the music really did it for me. Um, it was... It, it gave such a tense experience just watching that film, which was basically uh, a few people in a house. Um, and that really inspired me a lot. Did
0: either of you get The Shining from the game's music when you were playing it?
1: I personally didn't. I, I, if if he took inspiration, I suppose, I don't know, maybe just means the way it can be powerful. It's odd that he singled out The Shining because... I don't know. I I didn't hear The Shining at all. And I find it quite interesting because I don't know what
2: game it was that we played for this podcast. And there was something else again about The Shining music. It was Batman Arkham Asylum. There we go. Oh, yeah. And like, okay, but The Shining music is super minimal. Aside from like the, the big horn kind of section for the... The, the intro and whatever, like, but uh, I don't know. Mm. Music is very eerie. This, this soundtrack or the score or whatever sounds more in line with like dark and things like that. It, it, do you know, do you know what? Do you know what I heard? I, I heard Metal Gear Solid.
1: Yeah. 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 There's a bit of that, that industrial Sort of military sound to it, the sneaking of Yeah,
0: m- military, industrial, synthy. Like, that's, that's that's what I heard. I didn't hear The Shining. I
2: think The Shining is an influence, It's, but it's not there. So,
0: yes, that is some second sight marketing and the delightful. Second Sight Behind the Scenes of Free Radical Design. Thank you very much, Germaine Julien. So let us look at some pre-launch press coverage then. We don't have a ton, but this first article uh, from IGN posted on the 27th of July, 2004, just titled Insight into Second Sight Part 1. And in this, writer David Oak was asked how Second Sight is different to PsyOps The
1: Mindgate Conspiracy. And Dork said, quote, From a personal point of view, it's very interesting to see another team's interpretation and realisation of the idea of Psy powers in a game. Second Sight and PsyOps obviously both have stories about psychic powers, but they're very different stories, which takes place in very different worlds. Seems to me that PsyOps is a game about psychic soldiers taking place in a world where that is a commonplace and given aspect. Second Sight deals with a more contemporary and realistic world where people are only beginning to realize that psychic powers may exist. Since we've both incorporated telekinesis and gunplay, there are gameplay similarities. But we're talking about very fresh and interesting gameplay, though the integration of object manipulation, physics, etc. And I think the time has come when you'll see a lot more of this kind of stuff. Uh, For example, Half Life 2, Harry Potter, Destroy All Humans. I seriously think that the quality of the games uh, will make it a get them both rather than an either-or scenario. Although, obviously, if you're only getting one, then I'm going to tell you to go for second, sight. I'm a
0: bit disappointed we couldn't find any other similar quotes that were asked of the PsyOps team. Mm. Um, Hmm. But I guess that's because this came after PsyOps. So, naturally enough, if you are second, you're going to be compared, even if both of them are being made at the same time, you know. (laughs) And one other article posted on GameSpot just titled Second Sight Q&A and this I don't know when this was posted because if you go on GameSpot and you look up this it, it says it was posted on the 17th of May 2006 but it obviously wasn't because it, the way they're talking it is pre-launch I don't know something went wrong it was pre-launch but yeah David Doak again uh, being interviewed and he was asked about uh, whether or not the psychic powers in the game, made level design much more difficult. And he said,
2: It can cause headaches, as the psychic powers can be used to screw up level design, which would otherwise be watertight. Our approach was fairly organic, in that a level would be set up to a first pass, and if someone subsequently worked out a clever, unexpected approach, we would just make sure that the possibility was handled properly. In other words, we would try to accommodate innovative approaches rather than stifle them.
0: Which sounds pretty similar if you remember that the, what was it called? Secrets of Psy or something like that? I think, which was the yeah 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 like yeah. where where in the Psyops episode where uh, Midway spoke spoke about similar things where they were like I shouldn't be telling you this, but you can break the game, <laughs> allowing for not immersive sim level type stuff, but like you know you're able to play with this world, and we're welcoming that approach. I guess yeah. So that is some pre-launch press coverage of Second Sight and some pre-launch marketing all done and dusted. So now we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk to you and tell you, dear listeners, what we thought of the game itself. So we'll be back right after this. All right, then. This is the review portion of the podcast. But before we get on to... The review itself. I want to know your knowledge of Second Sight before you played it for this podcast. Adam Carroll, I think you've already said it, but
2: Mm -hmm. to dot the I's and cross the T's. I I played this back in the day, but if I'm going to be very honest, um, after playing it for this episode, I remember absolutely nothing about this game, uh, which was... Which I was kind of going to myself, did I, did I play this game back in the day? But there was a few little bits and pieces, which I'll explain later on that I went, oh, I remember this. I remember this. So yeah, I absolutely did. But yeah, it was, it felt very new going back to us.
1: Josh, what about you? I played it definitely uh, back in the day and uh, I was very rubbish because uh, I was an idiot. Remember, you know, when like you were a kid and you got stuck on something and years later, you think, you convince yourself, you're like, oh yeah, that game was like rock hard. But actually you're just like an idiot kid and you got stuck on some stupid bit because you were trying to run through and shoot everything. That basically happened to me. I got stuck or something. I just moved on to, I probably moved on to PSYOPs, who knows. And like in my mind the whole time... I've always been like, oh man, Second Sight, yeah, that game was tough. Boy, that was tough. But I don't think, I don't think it really was.
0: I, like both of you, played this many moons ago. Uh, if I was guessing, I like I wouldn't say I got it at launch, maybe a year or two or three maybe after launch. And I'm guessing that because in my hand here, I am holding the PS2 copy that I bought back in the day, where on it... In the top right, there is a sticker saying €25 each or two for €40 Euro, clear out sale. So yes, yeah, so I guess we did all have knowledge. We were, you know, a lot of knowledge of Second Side. All of us played it back in the day. But there may be some of you who didn't play it back in the day and didn't play along at home. And that's perfectly fine. That's what this part of the podcast is for, where I tell you what the game is. So... Second Sight is a third-person stealth action game that takes place over the course of 17 levels, contained levels. Uh, The size and layout of these levels do vary. Some are more open, some are more linear, some are more combat-focused, and some are more stealthy. We'll talk specifics as we go on. While in Second Sight, you can you know, your, your regular third-person action-adventure staple. You can, you can run around and shoot guns and crouch behind walls and go into cover and da-da-da. Its hook is its powers. And we'll go more in-depth on the individual powers later on. But in a nutshell, your protagonist, John Vaddick, has psychic abilities. Some of them made him in combat and some of them help him when it comes to the stealth. So, yeah, that is what Second Sight is. So... This is the part of our review section where we bloody review the game. And what we do is we split the game up into individual... Sections. We first talk about the game stealth. Then we talk about its boom boom, which are the game's more explosive bits and just other gameplay bits as well. Then we talk about the most noteworthy mission level or area that stood out to each of us. Doesn't have to be our favorite. It could be our favorite. Could be our least favorite. Just stood out to each of us for whatever reason. Then we talk about the story, the voice acting, the 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 just all that, the characters, uh, and then we have a little miscellaneous section at the end. Where we add anything that we weren't able to fit in anywhere else. So, yes, let us first talk about the stealth of Second Sight. And the thing that I wanted to touch upon first, because we'll get to the powers, but what I wanted to talk about first was just the stealth itself and like how it isn't very sophisticated, it's pretty straightforward. If you're standing in front of an enemy, he will see you. In fact, and I don't know this for definite, I think the guards have really narrow vision cones. Uh, be, be, like their their peripheral vision is rubbish. Um, because there were a few times where I was only ever so slightly to the side of a guard, and he just couldn't see me. I, I'm not. I'm not complaining. I'm, it's more of an observation. Um, mm. Because I. I I would prefer it be a bit more lenient when I'm not given all the information like I am with, say, Thief's Light Gem or Metal Gear Solid's Radar. Like, you don't have any of that uh, in this game. But let's get into it. Uh, We're going to compare almost everything to PsyOps. Yeah. So, PsyOps, that made out like you had to be mindful of the sound you make. And there was a cover system, so you had to watch where guards were looking. But in reality, even though, like, you know, Psyops said it had these things, like, in reality, a lot of it was really poorly implemented. Second Sight, and again, I want to be clear, it's not mind-blowing, but Second Sight Stealth, it's decent. As I say, we'll get onto powers and how they come into play in a minute. Mm -hmm. So I'm just kind of looking at the basics of stealth, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it mostly boils down to you just... Crouching behind low walls, going into cover, moving whenever your enemy's back is turned. Uh, th- there are Metal Gear Solid staples, like you've lockers to hide in and you've-, you've tables to go under. But I'd be like if I said I used them a ton. They don't really feel necessary because of the, the powers that you have. But there are some nice touches, like if a guard finds the body of another guard he'll call for backup. Um, There are surveillance cameras that will trigger an alarm if they spot you. Like, it's clear how much of an inspiration Metal Gear Solid was to this team. But with Metal Gear Solid, you will have more either visual or aural feedback when you trigger that alarm. Mm. Second Mm Sight is missing that. So there are nice touches and as I say, I think it's decent, but it's not all the way there. And actually, I do want to mention this. So in the story, you're a doctor, you're not an army man. However, the game does take you through a tutorial where they explain quickly, yeah, um, how this doctor becomes adept at shooting all manner of guns. But ultimately, John Vanek, he's a doctor, he's not a killer. So I like it then that you can actually avoid a lot of combat in this game. Uh, You can, if you're sneaky enough, you can skip by groups of baddies uh, without initiating a fight. Uh, Thinking of games we covered, it's a bit like the last of us insofar as there are some sequences that uh, you are able to avoid combat, there are others where it's maybe not entirely clear and there's some unavoidable combat. But nonetheless, I appreciate the option in second sight. I would have liked, however, on the topic of combat, I would have liked more ways to take enemies down stealthily, I must say. Like, you have a Trank gun, You know, and it works like Metal Gear Solid. If you shoot them in the head, they'll drop instantly, but it'll take a little longer to knock them out if you hit them in the body. And I quite enjoyed that. But, and it's quite possible I missed something that told me this, but do you have to be utilising the charm-go-invisible power in order to do stealth takedowns?
1: No, no, no. You can just, if you just go up behind someone and press X on PlayStation X, yeah, you sort of grapple them, and then you press circle, and you thump them out. I feel like that didn't trigger for me. Maybe I'm going mad. I, I don't know, but... I fucking completely missed that. <laughs> but you feeling like you did not know something because they did not explain something. That is a feeling that popped up like two or three times for me. I'll leave it there for now, and I'll revisit that. Okay.
0: Overall, I quite enjoyed the stealth. Of second sight. I th- I thought it was alright. You know, again, not mind blowing. Would I even say good? I'm not <laughs> sure. I would say I would say decent. I would say decent. Um Josh Wise, would you
1: say decent? I think I would like generally agree with like everything you've said there. I think, yeah, it's not it, it, it it's <laughs> it's alright. Um I have problems with it in terms of, in terms of the stuff you were saying about how the stealth is, you know, how far your enemies can see the fact that's not really ever communicated. There were some long old corridors and sometimes they seemed to spot me if they were looking at me and sometimes they didn't. And you're bang on about the peripheral vision. It's, not existent and, and yeah it's it's loosey-goosey it reminds me a little bit of um of of dark although actually dark's a little a little bit better as a pure stealth game how's that for a comparison christ oh, hey. uh, but, <laughs> but um yeah my problem with it and uh it won't be the last time i bring it up on this on on this episode and i i, I the, the controls just gave me loads of jip I, I just load just like Loads of trouble with the controls. And, it, and th- the first thing for me was that, it, talking about the stealth, it feels quite clunky. It doesn't feel very nice. When you, when you press the button to make John go up against the wall, for example... It's really herky-jerky. It's like, ugh. It it kind of locks into place, and the the camera is immovable at that point. It just sort of looks at John, and he sort of goes up and down the wall, but the camera's firmly fixed on John, and he only goes around the corner when he sort of leans and sort of peeps out. It it just feels very uh jerky and it doesn't feel sort of smooth and sort of precision made like in metal gear you know you sort of sidle up against the wall and everything everything's very smooth and the camera's perfectly pitched it feels very um off and i for me partly that's just down to the way the game is like there's no there's there's no walk function Uh, all you can do is uh he jogs at like at all times <laughs> and even when he's crouched he does a little crouch jog which is not the end of the world it is it's not like a dramatic fault with the game but it really feels like it came from a studio whose last game was a run and gun like really good but sort of breezy shooter and they are cramping themselves down into a third-person military-industrial-corridor stealth-action game. <laughs> um, it, it kind of feels like it's, it's, it wants to be loosey-goosey, freeform, but they're putting the, these rules on top of it, and it just didn't always feel great. I wish there was a way that you could just walk, but all in all, the stealth was all right but could use maybe some tightening up?
0: Colin Hearn says decent. Josh Weiss says all right. Adam
2: Carroll <laughs> says... Grand. Lovely. <laughs> like, here's the thing, right? I think, like, going into this, I was very surprised by the amount of, like, stealth situations that were at play here, like, and that's some. That's one of the things I don't remember at all. And then everything, everything you lads are saying, I completely agree with. But then when I'm thinking back on it, w- rather than being like what, what I like in comparison to PsyOps, PsyOps, you're just a fucking absolute machine, right? You are just destroying lads. I kind of think the, the odd clunkiness to, to the way John kind of runs around and like the, the moments where he's hiding behind the box and how he doesn't have this like, it, like he obviously has powers, but he's it, it It is very different to PsyOps in terms of how, v- like, vicious the powers are, I suppose. And, like, the way the game lays it out for you. And when those stealth scenarios were happening, I think it adds a bit more to, which I'll talk about more later on, but John's character. I think it adds a bit more kind of like, I don't know, it's, it's a bit more realistic, I guess, to his personality. So I was kind of like, Okay, to this, but saying that the overall moments of stealth are very basic. Not like they're not like easy. They're not very challenging. They're
1: just like they're perfectly grand, but like not setting my world on fire. Did you guys use the thing where the where you push the button and the camera goes static? for the stealth did you ever use that function
0: do you know what yeah let's let's stick that in here the camera is odd. And again, another Metal Gear Solid comparison, I suppose. So you have two ways the camera works. One, on PlayStation, you just press triangle to change the the layout of the camera. One camera is you have full control. It's third-person, regular, normal, modern camera. The other camera is your fixed camera locations. Every time, it's your fixed camera cinematic type thing, where every time you go into a new area, the camera placement changes like in Metal Gear Solid. I used the third person modern camera 99% of the time. I
1: think I may have used the Resident Evil camera like, uh, yeah, two or three times. It was when I was like, I I was at a corner and I wanted to see what was, and it was like, I can't quite see around that corner. Let me try the action cam. Um, And it kind of very rarely worked, but. It's, it's there if you want it.
2: Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this in there as well, like, because we are just talking about the camera. I think the camera is so weird in this game. I think it's like it's weirdly kind of disorientating or something for me. I don't know what it was, but it does this thing where when John runs, the camera just like pulls way back. And I don't understand the des- the design around it. Now it's not going to be something everyone's gonna like be like, oh, this is just messing with my game. It does mess up your game. It just Every single time, I was like, why does it do that? Why does the camera go so far back?
1: What is it trying to show me? It's an odd feature. No, you- I thought exactly the same. It, yeah, it, I guess it, it doesn't ruin anything, but like, it, it. I did think, wow, that's a zoomed out. That's like God of War 1 zoomed out. That's really fucking zoomed out. Yeah, camera is a bit. You have a bit of a fight with it here and there.
0: Well, talking about... You know, the, the camera and how you revolve it around. Well, do you know what makes John Vatic's world <laughs> revolve? <laughs> oh,
1: very smoothly done. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Something like that are the powers of uh, Second Sight. So a fortnight ago, uh, you two and the listeners would have heard me say that PsyOps' stealth-based powers weren't to my liking. Well, Second Sight's... They really are, I must say. Now, firstly, to look at one that I think we've already mentioned. I think I mentioned a Charm. Charm's main function is that it allows you to go invisible. Obviously, you can't go invisible if an enemy is looking directly at you. If you do that, the game penalizes you. Maybe I should have said this earlier. On the top left of the screen, you have your health. Same as PsyOps again. You have your health. And then you have your psychic magic. And if you try and go invisible when an enemy is looking directly at you, all of your psychic mana will just be drained down to zero. It's an easy one to explain. (laughs) And 100%, definitely by the end, it was the power that I used the most often. Why? Because it's flipping great. Uh, You can go invisible and just run around the gaff. What's not to like? (laughs) As long as you have some psi some juice in the tank, you're laughing. Yeah. Now, and this is something I, I think the both of you are, are going to mention. It's fair to say that it's a bit overpowered. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but sort of. Because, like, I think it works because the game doesn't have things I mentioned. You know, the the Thief's Gem, Metal Gear Solid's Radar, there's no visibility meter, mini-map with vision cones on it, or you can't see through walls or anything like that. So when you actually weigh it up and you go, you know, is this overpowered? I'm not actually 100% sure it is because the game doesn't give you the other advantages that... A, a, a stealthy game would give you. Now, the Psy juice does regenerate, whereas the PsyOps Psy juice doesn't. You collect little, little power-ups that just say, yeah, I give you you more Psy juice. So, like, maybe you could say that in Second Sight, it regenerates a little too quickly, maybe. But I, I just like a lot of things in the game, I don't think they totally nailed Charm, but I do think it mostly works. But I think the two of you might uh, differ from my opinion a bit. Josh,
1: what about you? Do, you? do you think Charm is too overpowered? I think you sort of talked me around on that a little bit, and it was something Adam said earlier as well uh, about John. They do do a good job of making it feel like his powers are reactions like they do a good job of driving the point home that he is like fundamentally a vulnerable person. So, and I think you kind of hit on that there. It's like charm. I think I put in my notes that it's, you know, a little bit overpowered, but I think you're right. It's like, it's not really overpowered. He's greatly, greatly outmatched and like is responding to situations where there's just like, you know, lots of soldiers trying to kill him. Um, so fair enough. He's sort of redressing the balance a little bit. Um, I do, if there are just sections where, where you can just put charm on and just run through and avoid loads of people, but I don't really know that that's a bad thing. Actually, the more I think about it, I I think Because when I ran through, there was one bit with a sort of, do you remember the thing where they have the multi-story car park layout and there's like troops on, I don't think it actually is a multi-story car park, but it's laid out like one, it's got the sort of slopes and you can go through about three floors of troops. And I remember just doing that and sort of giggling. (laughs) So I was like, ah, I'm just bypassing this whole combat encounter. And then I thought wait, is that bad? The game's making my brain think I'm having fun because I'm avoiding content in the game. Like, that, that, that that surely can't be a good thing. But then I thought... Does that mean I don't like the combat? I just thought, no, it doesn't matter. Like, fun is fun. And if I feel giddy because I've turned invisible and I'm running past the whole SWAT team, then so bloody be it. You know, this guy's on the run. He's getting shat on from a great height. He didn't know what's going on. And he's got these powers. And I just sort of let go. And I just thought, yeah, what? Fucking why not? This is all right, this. So I sort of take that back a little bit. Yeah, chart, Yeah. It was a bit overpowered in Dark, but Eric Bain is a very different man to John Vatic in a number of ways, um, but we won't get into that now. Uh, charm's all right. Charm's all right. I still think it's overpowered. I, I, I like. For me, I feel
2: like uh, any power in a video game that makes you invisible, I think as, unless it's like an online game where you're like invisible and you creep up on someone online in, in mm. the real world it's not really that fun. Like once I realised that this was here, charm was here and I could do this and I could cut through a lot of scenarios this way, of course I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it if the game is letting me do it. Is
0: it the invisibility or is it your, your psychic mana like and how long you can use it for
2: that's the thing the the, the length of time it's actually just the invisible side anyway i don't really give a shit about it but in this i feel like you do get a fair chunk of time more than a lot of other games that would give you like you know i think like wow i I really you could run through at least two or three rooms and be like happily not caught like and it's like and it charges up pretty fast again it's not It's not awful, obviously. It's it's not awful, but it's like PsyOps. PsyOps has you using telekinesis as like the main power without it stating it's the main power. I feel like second sight, it's charm.
1: Yeah, one game is the game that's all about TK and the other game is the game that it's all about charm. Like that is, that is actually the split right there. Like obviously you can use, you don't have to, and you can try and
2: get around these things. It's not forcing you to do it, but like, I'm just gonna because it's there and I have a better chance of getting by by doing this. So, and I'm not being punished for
1: it. So, cool. The game would also be sort of fucked without it, right? Because some of the environments are just quite, quite big with not very much cover. And like, you do just need a way to glue those bits together. Another power that I
0: also quite liked and I'm going to say again, Second sight does it better than PsyOps. This power is a stealthy power, but it can be used for boom-boom purposes as well, which Josh will get on to. But, you know, you need to be stealthy in order to initiate the power. The power is possession. So this is an upgrade of another power you have called projection, which is where you're able to just project an ethereal form, an ethereal version of yourself that is able to interact with things in the physical world. But yeah, I, I wanted to talk about the, the upgrade possession. So the same power is in the Mindgate conspiracy, in PSYOPs, basically. You just, uh, you're, you're able to take over the mind of a guard and can then perform tasks as that guard. Now, I think the scenarios are often more inventive in Second Sight. Uh, The scenarios where you're in control of the guard. But also, and this is crucial, when you stop mind-controlling a guard in Second Sight, that guard then doesn't go, Ah, John Vatic was just mind-controlling me. Call in reinforcements and let's fuck him up. The guard (laughs) doesn't react at all. Whereas in PsyOps, the guard would go, Ah, shit! Oh, it's Nick Scroyer. Kill him! And like, it just he would alert everyone after you leave their mind, which just nullified the stealthiness of the power. So, because the guards didn't react when I popped out of their mind, I did it way more in second sight. Because the game allows me more opportunities to play around. Like, it's it, it's not a giant sandbox or anything like that, but I
1: just found it allowed for some more play for me. Well, I much preferred it in PsyOps. So I, this is another one where I fucked it or my brain got wiped because I didn't realise I could possess folk until quite late in the game, like two thirds of the way through or something. I was in their astral projection mode walking along, just scouting around, and and then suddenly a little prompt came up telling me I could possess a fella because I just walked close to him and it absolutely blew my mind and I had no and I thought, wait, did they commu- when did they communicate this to me? Can I do this? And then I just could do it. Now, did I just forget when they taught us that? They
0: do teach you that i believe right
1: yeah. okay i must have just forgotten because i also forgot about psyblast as well but i'll get onto that in a minute um yeah it's all right but the thing is is that psyops is a game about mayhem yeah if you want it to be and it's really good with mayhem and possession is very very conducive to mayhem Whereas the the thing with this game is like there's nothing really that you can do in possession that you can't just do as a ghost fella. Because as a ghost fella, you can also interact with all the switches and stuff. So unless you want to possess a fella and shoot that fella's comrades, there's kind of no need for possession in this game. And the thing is, in this game, you probably don't just want to go all out mayhem so yeah there's just not that much use for possession in 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 this it's fun enough like there were like I did i did at one point just go ah whatever I'll just this guy's got an AK I'll just shoot a couple of fellas and I and I did I mean and it was okay but ultimately you know I do kind of want to be sneaking around more so it felt a little bit redundant
2: What I would have liked out of possession is cuz I I I do agree what you're saying Colin like with psyops it's you do it and it's carnage and that's just that and for me, with, when, when it happened in psyops, I would be like, yeah, whatever, cool, let's, let, let's go. Shoot, 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 happy days. With second sight, what you're saying then, Josh, regarding second sight is, is very true because whenever I do possession, it is kind of like one of those things where, all right, the enemy doesn't know, he just goes on about his way or whatever, grind. That then is where it, it, it's a bit too stupid. Then I'm just like, ah, just give me a make the enemy even more paranoid, more on edge, where they're really what kind of they're they're a bit like something just went on there. What's going on? And give them a bit of a freak out kind of moment. I just feel that's kind of something I would have welcomed with with like using possession is like I'm going to do this because I want to see the area, but I know by doing it, it's going to cause them to be more alert. Which would make then the stealth situations that little bit more uh, uh, tense. Josh, you have already
0: spoken about using the the astral projection uh, and discovering that you could possess folks. But on the topic of that astral projection, there are aspects of the stealth. I guess we haven't talked about like hacking computers and all that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I really like that. And that's one other reason I didn't possess folk because you're actually at a disadvantage. You're much better off as a ghost lad because you can go through lasers and stuff and uh spy on um there's one moment where you, you you could like see a password that was like or a clue to it to a, like a login password because it was on like a framed picture on the wall and you had to walk through um, some lasers and a metal detector to get there. It's in the level conspiracy, I seem to remember. And you can just sort of go through. And And I remember it's kind of like what you were saying, uh, Cullum, and I think I was saying that we kind of wanted PSYOPs to do more. You know, it was like, oh, you've got this, mm-hmm. um, I think it was called clairvoyance. or Remote viewing. Uh, remote viewing, that's right. Um, and, you know, you could sort of go through doors with it. It was like this sort of first person thing. And there was only like two or three uses of it in that game tops. And to be fair, in in, in Second Sight, um, you do do it a bit more. There are a fair few laser gates to wander through. There are there are a couple of moments where you can get um, passwords for PCs and stuff. And generally, rather than using charm, um, I would actually use um, projection because you are also invisible in projection, but you can just scope out the level ahead. But when your psychic juice runs out, the disadvantage of using charm is that when your psychic juice runs out, you suddenly become visible in a room full of goons. But if you're using the ghost fella projection, you just zip back to Vatic wherever he is. It's actually a little bit better to hide. Use use projection to just sort of scope ahead. Um uh and 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 kind of just like like a little sort of a little bulletproof probe, really. You can kind of just poke around and see what's going on. And I got a kick out of that. Oh uh, yeah, I thought it was um another kind of stealth rather than you just basic line of sight stuff. And a little more interesting than PsyOps in that way.
0: Yeah, and I, I suppose I, I said you can hack computers or whatever when you're pro- projecting. You You can do that just as a Corporeal yeah. John Vatic as well, but I I very quickly I I did quite like that. You know, you, it's very Deus sexy, I suppose, where you're yeah. able to get onto a computer terminal and like turn off the surveillance cameras in a particular area. Yeah, um, definitely. It's not it's yeah. not used loads, but no, it's in a couple of times. So yeah. that is yeah. what we thought of the stealth of Second Sight. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about more of the adventures of John Doctor, John Vatic. <laughs> All right, then let us chat about the boom boom of Second Sight. The boom boom, of course, being the more explosive bits of the game and just other gameplay bits as well. And the first thing I want to talk about, because in the stealth section, right, I was banging on about what Second Sight does better than PsyOps. Well, yeah, the turntables have turned because now let me tell you that PsyOps destroys Second Sight when it comes to psychic combat. (laughs) It just annihilates it i don't know if anyone has tons to say about cyblast
1: i have one thing to say about it very briefly i forgot that it existed and it's the last example of me forgetting stuff i thought cyblast was only the, the the big aoe one And I suddenly had a flashback the other night that they do in fact teach you that it's also a projectile. And in fact, they teach it to you very early on. And I had simply forgotten that function and wished I had it actually. I think it would have been useful, but there you go.
0: I was going to say like, it does have two functions. You have this long range psychic energy hadouken thing that is <laughs> if you like it, it's pretty effective you know um and then yeah when it's upgraded it upgrades into this aoe crowd control blast thing like it's okay <laughs> the thing is that that hadouken it just feels like some sort of super gun than
1: any like inventive
0: mental ability
1: isn't it silent as well that's the advantage of it. Is it? Does it like silently take people out from distance? Is
0: it? I mean, if it is, that's something that I didn't.
1: No. See what I mean? I'm convinced this game doesn't communicate things for. I because I googled it when I suddenly realised it. I googled it, and some p- person said on like Game Facts or whatever. They were like, yeah. Along with the the Trank gun, the Cyblast blast is like the other way you could knock fellas out from a distance. I was like, "Oh, well, I wish they'd well, play me." <laughs> yeah. I,
0: did, I didn't know that. Yeah. On the boom, boom powers, the real talking point is telekinesis. And the bigger talking point maybe is the gulf in quality yeah. between PSYOP's telekinesis and Second Sight's telekinesis because it is staggering. Like Second Sight's telekinesis is weak as piss. It does what you expect. You can look at objects or people and then you can pick those objects or people up and interact with them in some way. Like Second Sight does have a few more puzzles to solve, uh, you know, where you might have to like pull a lever from across the room using your mind or whatever. Mm. In combat, it is shit. (laughs) I didn't complete a single combat encounter in PsyOps without using telekinesis. Not one, right? Mm. It was a joy in that game, just picking up an enemy and flinging him into a wall or grabbing (laughs) an explosive barrel and lobbing it in the direction of enemies. Whatever it is, a big smile on my face. In Second Sight, you cannot throw things while using telekinesis. You can pick them up You can put them down, but you cannot throw. And that one difference is absolutely huge. Mm. Like It it makes fights far less dynamic and enjoyable than they otherwise would be, I suppose. Because I, I can pick a guy up, I can bring him towards me, and then I can take up my gun and shoot him while he's floating in the air. And that's fine, but if I could have that in addition to being able to just make him go splat against the wall. It's (laughs) so, so flat. Yeah. Oh, Jesus.
2: I was actually pretty amazed, right? And I think it was around the fifth or sixth time of using it that I said to myself, this is surely not just going to stay this way. Like, I'm surely going to get some sort of upgrade or they're going to go, we're going to make you a machine. I I, I couldn't agree more to call him. I was... Floored
1: by how weak it felt. Yeah, on the on the telekinesis. I think that is why for years and years and years, like that was the opinion that stuck when I was a kid. And years looking back, it. I remember at the time there was a kind of smugness to telling people that you had second psyops, and everyone kind of no Oh, it's the time splitters, guys. But really, it's like yeah, but psyops was better. And the thing is, I don't necessarily think that now, but I I think the telekinesis is like a really important part of that because it's what sticks in your mind. When I think of psyops, I just think of awesome chucking dudes around. It's like the Force Unleashed before the Force Unleashed, right? But with this, it's just... The thing that was most frustrating about telekinesis, every now and again, I would successfully launch someone like I'd like from a fucking catapult, like I would fling them and they'd smash into a wall and I'd go, that's what I want. But I would never know how I did that. It tended to be that you can more quickly pull folks towards you, but you can't move them left and right very fast. But it always felt totally lucky and finicky whenever I managed to do that. And also it takes ages to pick a guy up. Yeah. Because you press telekinesis on them and they hold their head like they're having a headache for like one and a half seconds and then you lift them up. It's like, come on, it needs to be instant. I need to just pick the dude up. Like, why is he holding his head? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's it's a shame, especially when, to be fair, like, I don't think it's havoc or anything, but they do have good physics in Second Sight. Like, it is quite cool. Yeah. The, the way the boxes move, the way the bodies ragdoll they fall convincingly. Hey, t- I tell you what, telekinesis when they're up or high on a building and you can toss them off some scaffolding or whip them over a wall into oblivion. We're having a laugh. It's all good days, but in, in uh, inside r- rubbish.
0: But you do have guns, many guns, as I made reference to off the top. There's, John Vatic, he he is a doctor of blood. Um, <laughs> now, as has been said already, Second Side has two timelines. There's the one where he's in the medical facility sneaking around trying to figure out what's going on. And you have the one set in Siberia where he's with his crew, uh, Winter Ice. And that section has a lot more boom-boom going on. And I know you wanted to talk about that, Adam.
2: Yeah, a lot more boom-boom going on here. And this is where now I I kind of weirdly feel like the, the game... Is just all of a sudden a different type of game that we've been playing because basically these missions they're they're quite big in scope and like it's kind of it it is just all like guns blazing. You don't have your powers. You are playing as John from back before this all happened and he had all these powers. So you you just have guns and this this is where then I was kind of going Jesus, there's there's quite a lot of shooting in this game and this is where I kind of in my head went so. What way do you rank this this situation of the gameplay? And I think it kind of goes like shooting and stealth could nearly be even Stevens or maybe shooting takes first place. And then Powers is like third. There's a lot of shooting going on in, in, in second side as well. Now, it's fine. It's grand, I guess, whatever. But going back to what I was saying in the stealth section where how the stealth felt and how it kind of, I thought it added to John's character. All the shooting is the complete opposite. And I don't think it suits John's character at all. There's moments where he's questioning everything. He's, he's just doing it. We'll we'll talk about him later on. But when you, when you are in control with a gun and you're running with John, absolute machine. But like, it just doesn't feel like second sight then. And I'm just like, and then I'm kind of in my head going, what the fuck do I think second sight is? It's, it's, it's kind of wild when it's throwing you back and forth, I'll get more into like this, this because I my mission is kind of at one of these levels. But yeah, how did you feel about
1: guns? The, the, one of the things I really liked was the, the first person view. Yeah. Which uh, early on, you just kind of think, oh, it's like Metal Gear Solid. And, it, you know, and actually it's quite useful sometimes because the camera can be quite finicky. So if you want to get, you know, you want to sort of get your bearings, you sort of have a look around. Actually... I realized about sort of a third of the way in what it is is the Time Splitters devs reminding you that they're the Time Splitters devs because the first person stuff is just really good it's obviously not as good as Time Splitters and I wish that it worked like it did in Time Splitters it still has the snap to like lock on because that's the other thing in this game it's like early Grand Theft Auto you just hold the button and lock on to people and then you can fine tune the reticle inside the thing um but I just really like the first person because it adds a lean function you can get, which you just don't have otherwise. Oh, well you can, you can peep out of cover and whip out like Sam Fisher and then you're vulnerable while you shoot at them in first person. You can just lean out of cover, um, snap to whoever you want to shoot. Um, and then instantly let go of the analog stick and whip back into cover, which you could do in GoldenEye, And it's, many of the same devs who made goldeneye um and it just means it makes the the headshots just great i should say i played on the steam deck and i used the gyro for the aiming so i would literally snap to a dude really really quick headshot onto the next one so i just clear out guys really really quickly but stuff like when you reload the gun in first person view they spent ages, like, animating all the stuff. Like, John actually has a visible magazine in his left hand, and the gun is animated like it is in a first-person shooter. If you reload in third person, he doesn't do anything. with His hands just move. He's got no magazine in his left hand. It just looks like it does in GTA, like early GTAs. It's just funny, that odd little split, but I found it, it totally sort of woke the shooting up for me. I'm just going to get
2: on to, to the, the next point to have there as well, right? Which is about like the sniper, the sniper scope view. I was just like, I think at this point, like when, when I got to first person, when I went to like the overall camera that pulls back as I run, then I get to first person view and then the sniper comes on. I was just like, what more are they going to do with this camera that's going to bug me? Because I, for one, was not into the sniper thing at all for the listeners who have yet to play it or if you are going to play it it's it's very straightforward rather than your your typical sniper view that you would know of where your the, the whole scope is on the screen in the center with the kind of black around whatever second side is doing this thing where the scope view is in the bottom right corner it's like off to the side kind of down by the corner it's pretty small you can still see the whole game so it's not taking away any of the game it's just giving that extra thing now for a lot of people they might go oh i kind of like that. It's pretty cool iphone thought it was awkward as shit because (laughs) it doesn't make sense because i'm not looking then i'm still not looking at your game i'm not looking at it i'm looking at where i'm shooting and you've given me this really small little view i i don't understand i would way before to have just had the normal sniper view that we all know from every game that's out there.
0: The first time it happened, I didn't know what was going on. It was (laughs) so strange. I don't know if I've ever seen it before. Maybe I have. And that point is incredibly valid, Adam. Like, if, if it's being included purely because you want the player to still take in the world that you've created, then, well, I'm still not looking at that game world that you have created because now... Rather than the entire screen being uh, my sniper scope and me looking at that, I, I it's just in the bottom right corner. But that's where my eyes are going now. Yeah, I mean, I got used to it because I played the game for whatever it was nine, ten hours. I can't remember however long the game was. As
1: you said, come and
2: get used to it, but I'm not enjoying
0: it. I
1: thought it was alright. Uh, yeah, I thought it was alright. It, it doesn't. It d- didn't really. I mean, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but uh, I just sort of thought. You know, you snap to everyone, so it's never difficult. If it was like that and it was really fiddly and difficult, then I think I'd totally Mm. agree with you. But the fact is, it was like that and it was just as easy as everything else is easy. And I just sort of, again, fine-tuning the aim to the headshot, very satisfying. Um, It was an example of, like, style being perfectly in proportion to substance, I guess. So it kind of didn't cause any problems. It's like, it's a little, uh, it it feels like something that would be in the video game 13 or something. Like it feels like something from a comic book, like, Oh yeah, we'll have a little panel. That's the sniper thing, which is, you know, whatever. Um, but no, I didn't think it got in the way. I think all in all, I thought the majority of the
0: like gun play, the shooting, was alright. Yeah. <laughs> like some other
1: things I've said. I thought I thought it was
0: okay. I will say I actually thought the guns packed more of a punch than Psyops. Yeah,
1: yeah definitely. Yeah. We like in PsyOps you prefer using the powers. Yeah. Uh, a bit shit in this game when there's just unlimited enemies, though, that that is just rubbish when like you alert them and if you just stay in one place, the enemies are actually unlimited in second sight until you move on or complete an objective. And it's a site like, uh, that that bit's better in ops. <laughs> I'm not really a fan of unlimited enemies at the best times but yeah
0: so that is what we thought of the boom boom of Second Sight so now let us talk about the most noteworthy mission or level that stood out to each of us so yes as I said earlier this isn't necessarily our favourite levels or our least favourite levels they can be but it is just a, a level that stood out to us for whatever reason And look, why not? We'll do this in chronological order. I'll start off because I have chosen the the earliest level in the game. The the, uh, mission I wanted to talk about, mission level, the word is interchangeable in second sight. But yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, mission six, which is called Madness. Um, I made reference to this off the top. But the amount of games we've spoken about that have asylums in them. it, it like Developers just, they bloody love a psychiatric hospital. <laughs> anyway, in this mission, John Vanek has left the facility that he starts the game in and he's going to break Jane Wilde out of the asylum. The psychic of um, Winter Ice is uh, his, his team. Um, I've gone for this mainly because of how it shows Uh, creativity in the level design and the game's stealth mechanics. So you start the level outside in the uh, kind of courtyard of the asylum and there's a spotlight there. And if you want, you can climb a ladder and you can turn that off. If you like, you don't have to. But one thing that this level has loads of, or this is an example of something that this level has loads of, you can get inside the asylum, which is your goal, Either by finding a vent on the far right or you can make your way in the main gate and then you'll find an open window somewhere around there. And uh, I'm not as confident in this one. I could be wrong, but I think there's another way to get in somewhere off to the left going off memory. Now, the entirety of Second Sight isn't this at all, but this level... It just, it had a lot of that. It it scratched a Deus Ex itch. I mentioned Deus Ex earlier in talking about hacking. Like, there's a bit of that in this level too. But also, I guess the, the biggest comparison to Deus Ex would be in this level, you do an awful lot of crawling through vents. And these vents, they might connect one cell to another cell to another cell. But then on the other side, of the, the building, there might be another kind of uh, uh, cell that has a vent in it that connects to somewhere else, that connects to somewhere else. It's, it's not an immersive sim, not saying that, but this level, it is surprisingly open and you're, you have an awful lot of choices. There is also a lovely bit where you're in this large, I think it's a library, and there are doctors there But they don't know who you are, so they don't react aggressively to you. So you you could just walk out in the open, which isn't something you can do an awful lot in the game. This might actually be the only area where you can do this. But during this bit, you're looking for a password to a computer terminal so that you can get on the computer terminal and then unlock a door. So again, there's their de-sexiness. I think there's another part of the level where you access a different computer and you're able to do something I mentioned earlier. You're able to like manipulate the surveillance cameras from there too. And I just loved whenever the game allowed me to to do that. Like, earlier on I said how the stealth isn't terribly sophisticated. And it it isn't. It isn't. For me, it is relatively decent throughout. Uh, But then there are levels like this which are really enjoyable maps that allow for different stealthy approaches. And... Uh, like I wouldn't say this is the only instance of it but I would say this is probably the most concentrated example of this type of thing. Now, the level that you have chosen Josh Wise does have a bit of this as well, I guess. So yeah, yeah, tell tell myself and Adam and the listeners at home about the level you have chosen.
1: I went for uh, the 10th one, Mission 10, it's called Street Life and uh, it was, it, sort of jumped out because it felt very different to the other ones. Um, Not the military industrial vibe, not the asylum vibe, uh, but also like really different to the army shooty vibes that are in the flash sideways missions. In this one, you're just in a little section of Queens in New York City um, you you have to find stark um in the timeline of the possible future and um you do that by going through a little section of sort of back alleys and stuff in queens and there are government folks um that are pursuing you and then <laughs> sort of ranged against those government fellas or sort of stuck in the middle really is a a street gang I think called I think they're called the vipers or the vultures or something like that um, and uh, I really liked it for a couple of reasons um as I say just just totally you're just looking for someone and it was kind of cool I, it felt like a little uh I, I I'm gonna I'm like really conscious of <laughs> of like over egging this I'm really gonna try not to it's like a, t- a tiny little sandboxy bit. It's not a sandbox, mm. but I'm using that word in the way that you would get that on like Deus Ex, where you just have like a little miniature hub. You, there are just a couple of little things you can do in these back alleys. You can, one of the gang leaders wants to move a package. I think they're dealing drugs Um And they, and, but the government fellas snooping around means that they can't do that. So you want to go through this area of Queens, but the gang members say, no, you can't come through. This is our turf. You can't do that. And John's like, oh, okay. Right. And then, so the whole thing is you've got to run an errand for someone. So for a little bit. I'm pretty sure John Vatic's just a drug dealer for like half an hour, which is quite funny. <laughs> like that's not something that you'd think about second sight, but I'm pretty sure he is because you've got to take this package to this little buzzy intercom and tell the fella that it's, he says, oh, who is there? And, he's, and he says, oh, I'm delivering tulips from Amsterdam, which makes it sound a bit like heroin, I guess. Um, but anyway, so you deliver that and then he gives you a tattoo Uh, he says, oh, you'll need, you'll need the mark. If you're going to get through this, this, uh, (laughs) this, this gang territory. Um, and so he gives you this little tattoo and then you go back to the gang people and then they say, yeah, he didn't have that tattoo earlier. And then someone says, maybe he did. Maybe we didn't notice that he had it. And so then they let you, whatever they let you through. And then the government fellas come, and there's a sort of gang turf war between the sort of G-men from the government and this uh, Viper gang—a very unconvincing street gang, by the way. It's like what, the, the West Side Story meets <laughs> the, the sort of emo movement of the of the like. Sort of, they look like they look like people from Mark Echoes Getting Up. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, but, but one of the things I like about this is a bit different. You're doing all this nutty stuff. It feels a bit like a detour. It feels actually like Free Radical just thought, oh, let's just do something a bit different. Like, because most of what goes on in second sight, or a lot of what goes on, could really occur in time splitters, you know. It's still very military-industrial. There's still a lot of gunny-gunny. Um, bit more bit more sneaky sneaky, but a lot of gunny-gunny. And in here, it's just have a little side quest. Have have a little explore around. There's there's a basketball court and, and a basketball. And sure enough, you can use telekinesis on the basketball and like drop it through the hoop if you want to. <laughs> just little just like little random bits like that. And then and it's also it uses verticality very well. Like Stark is way up in a in a um a sort of tenement block of flats and there's government goons on high up scaffolding and you can tk them off the scaffolding and that, that's the most satisfying tk stuff in the game really
0: adam you have gone for something entirely different to the levels that the both of us have chosen
1: yeah
2: i've gone for um teamwork which is mission 11 this level is just a straight up shooting mission and the only reason that like i'm kind of picking this one is it is quite impressive when I'm going back to what I was saying earlier about the the kind of scope of these like levels, this one is massive. It's really big, and like mm. like the whole idea is you're pushing forward with the team, and it goes on at a fair fair length. And I think the overall shootout is 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 quite it's done quite well because there's one detail actually that that's within this game, and um, you you can see the kind of the trail of every bullet um, going by, which is kind of like, it's kind of a cool little touch as it's going on. Kind of makes it look like a matrix or something. I don't know what it is. As you're progressing, you're doing a lot of like hiding behind the cover or whatever, and you're seeing the bullets go by and you're running ahead. It's it, 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 it's done well. It, it, it's it's one of those, it's one of the shooting missions done quite well. Up to this point, I was already kind of going, I was I was disappointed with the powers. So I kind of was on board with trying to find these kind of levels a bit more kind of exciting, I guess. So it was one that just popped out to me. But I am going to cheat here, lads, and I'm just going to throw in this as a bonus kind of mission. I think Second Sight is possibly one of the worst training levels of any game. This training level was unnecessary and just atrocious. Just imagine taking away any sort of thing in this game, such as the powers and uh, the guns all the stuff we're talking about and be given a training mission where you're just told to literally climb on a box or climb over a wall, jump down, move forward, go left, go right. It is so unbelievably bland. Why, why, why in God's name did the train level in second sight have to happen? Especially when as you're progressing, John doesn't seem to really have a clue. He's like, oh, ah, like he's freaking out kind of all the time. Why was he doing training for? he's not ready he's not ready for any sort of combat and like it's an entire level it's like the second level it's meaty it is baffling
0: that is what we thought again of the boom boom and the most noteworthy mission that stood out to each of us so we are going to take a quick break and then we will be back to talk even more second sight so back right after this Alright then, let us continue our chat of Second Sight with some discussion on the story and the characters and the dialogue of this very game. And, you know, I've called a lot of Second Sight decent or okay or alright or or whatever it is. I'm going to say, I fucking really like Second Sight's twisty, turny, supernatural story. I think it is... Such great fun. And it's such great fun for my money because its mystery is intriguing all the way throughout. Like, the main twist, which I laid out during the recap, is executed, no bullshit, very well. Because, like, all throughout the game, you think the John Vatic that wakes up in the medical facility is in the present. And the John Vatic that's chasing down a Russian scientist in Siberia is in the past. Because the game says, this is six months ago. But the reveal that the present is actually the future, or a potential future, and the past is actually the present, and like, you know, even saying it now, like, oh, I live for that shit. Just hook it to my veins. It works... (laughs) For a couple of reasons. It it works because the game gives you all the necessary information to, if you like, solve the mystery from the off without actually laying it on too thick and making it too obvious. Because, like, for the purposes of... I will say, for the purposes of the recap earlier, I was obviously being far from vague. But that was to, to make a point of what happens in the story. Because, like, the game does walk the line really well throughout. And I have two examples to illustrate this point. So, first clip I want to play is when John Vatic is talking to Jane Wilde after breaking her out of the um, asylum. She tells him that Colonel Stark is dead. And she even says John was there when he died. At that point... The game then has you play the mission where Stark would have died. But, as you said earlier, he doesn't die. And when Vanek is back to the timeline with Jane, Jane is like, duh, obviously the colonel isn't dead. I'm going to play the clip here where you're going to hear both chats with Jane. So I've edited so you hear them one after the other. But when you're playing, you don't obviously hear them one after the other. So just take a listen to this.
1: John! Jane!
0: Thank God you're okay. What happened to you?
1: Uh, I...
0: Look, I need to know, how did it end up like this? Who are those people? (laughs) I can't remember.
1: What What about the Colonel? Where is he?
0: The Colonel's dead. They shot him! You were there! Are you okay? I think so. I keep getting these flashbacks. At first I thought it
1: was my memory coming back, but uh, things keep changing.
2: We need to find the colonel.
1: The colonel's alive.
2: Of course he is. They tried to court-martial him. They covered up everything. Where is he? He disappeared before they could arrest him. But he gave me an address. A place to go if I was in trouble.
0: Of course he's alive, you stupid bastard. Another (laughs) example that I wanted to play is when Vatic what actually happens after this it's when Vatic meets with Colonel Stark which is after the mission that Josh spoke about so Stark tells Vatic that he thought the Colonel thought that Vatic had died along with all of the Winter Ice squad who in the Colonel's eyes are dead and again you then play a mission where they don't die and when it comes back into this timeline with Stark and Vatic, Stark is like oh everyone in Winter Ice is alive of course they are so here again is another clip that you can listen to which has again both chats but you know you don't hear them one after the other like you're gonna hear now so take a listen to this
2: I thought you'd been killed with the others in Dubransk
1: what do you you mean with the others
2: everyone on the Winter Ice team whose bastards killed them all
1: (sighs) We
2: killed Jack. Ah! Vatik, you okay? I lost you for a second.
1: I, I was back in Dubrensk The team was alive.
2: Yeah, we were lucky to get out without taking casualties. I was damn proud of them. You did good yourself.
1: Wait, everyone got back alive?
2: <laughs> for all the good it did us. When we got back, they just used us. Used as us scapegoats.
1: So...
0: The premise of Second Sight, I think, works really well as specifically a game because if it was, uh, if it was a film, for example, those conversations they're not going to happen as you know as close together as that, but they are going to happen a you know a lot. Uh, more closely than they do in the game, which then would make it a lot more obvious. Like enough time passes between conversations here because of the missions that you're actually playing. So you're not able to just compare lines of dialogue as easily in the moment. So like as the player, you know, you obviously know something is up, of course. And you know that you're changing things in the present or you think you're changing things in the present via your actions in the past. But yeah, obviously as I said, the present is actually the future, the past is actually the present. <laughs> but I, I I really like that it makes sense within this world of, uh, of psychics and, and whatnot. Like, they never... Basically what I'm saying is that they never fudge timelines or anything or there's no deus ex machina or like... You know they they never really withhold information from you. Like what second sight story is is a very well executed magic trick. Like they tell you the truth, but then they distract you with sleight of hand. So even in that last clip, Vatic goes, uh, or Stark says like, oh, but all the team are alive," and Vatic is like, "Really?" And then Colonel says, "Yeah, well, all the all good that did and blah blah blah." Like it, you know they. They quickly they don't dwell on things and thus all the way throughout you are intrigued, going, what's what's actually happening here? How am I changing things in the present? Again, not the present, blah blah blah. But yeah, I I, I really like it and yeah, you know, with twenty twenty-four eyes, I think I think it's a, a roller coaster ride. But what would you say, Josh?
1: I would say, um, I agree. I, now this is weird and sounds like it's contradicting what you're saying, but it's not. I guessed what was happening instantly. And, but, but when I guessed it, it was the point at which he saw on the computer screen that in one moment, Jane was deceased and the next she wasn't. And I'm not saying, oh, look at me. I'm really clever.
0: It sounds like you are <laughs> no well i'm sorry i think okay
1: <laughs> i just for whatever it is whatever it was about that day it just flipped in my head i just i just instantly went oh okay this will be like a possible this whole thing will be him seeing this as because that'll be the second sight of the game's title i guess but but that didn't matter because i had the emotion just earlier the emotion of the magic trick reveal, I just had it early on. That's all. And I was like, oh, that's really cool if it turns And then when it was played as that later on, I was like, yeah, that's really cool. Doesn't take away from it. Just thought it was clever. This is how you do pulpy silliness. And that's great. And a load of folk try and do it and fuck it. And actually... There's a real skill to doing it well. And these guys do it well. It's well plotted. It's really well paced. It's not a long game. There's like 16, 17 levels, but they're not long. Some of them are like 10 minutes. It moves quick. It's good nonsense. It's good silliness. It's Mm. like just a decent episode of the X-Files or something. And you go, that had a good hook. Uh, and I was with it all the bloody way. Look,
2: I I wasn't. I'm not like the genius in the classroom. Josh Wise here. I didn't. <laughs> I, I, I didn't pick this up immediately. But um, I like this is this is one of the stronger parts of the game for me. I was I was kind of like oh, this game got this game got a bit of chops in its story, and I was a bit like the back and forth was kind of like once I knew what they were going for, I was like cool. But I'd be honest, it was the, it was the end reveal. I was just like. Oh, oh! I didn't see that at all coming. Like, and look, yeah, you can think hard about it. I guess, and maybe you might get there somehow. But I, I, I wasn't. I was just going around with the ride. I was kind of wondering how it was going to wrap up, and um, I, I was into the story. I, I think, and hearing, hearing those clips that you had there, call like um, the. I have to comment compliment the the music. Like, even though we are on about it a while ago, like. The shiny thing is so not there. It isn't there. But what is there suits its kind of dramatic tone. Um, it's simple, it's it just it just it goes along fine. Um I I, I really did enjoy the story. It kept, it kept me it kept me going the whole way through. One thing I know you didn't enjoy though,
0: you might have enjoyed the story, but I don't think you're a massive fan of John Vatic himself. Oh,
2: listen. Boah! Jesus, if there was ever, if there was ever a character who was trying to not have you enjoy the story, it's John Vedic Like, it's not that it's like unbearable. It serves the purpose kind of fine. But Christ, he's some goober. Like, he is, he's just kind of annoying. And he never really kind of like grabs the bull by the horns and goes, all right, let's fucking sort this. He's just always oh my head my head all the time oh it's so sore like just get over it john get on with it grab <laughs> the gun get shooting get a better tk power sort yourself out the voice actor i don't know who it is and i'm, I'm, I'm not i'm not bashing the voice acting here but it's it's an unusual performance <laughs> it's not awful it's not amazing it's kind of weirdly cheesy but then it's trying to be super serious. I don't know what it's like. There's it a lot of elements
1: going on with with the overall character. Just not for me. I thought he was a bit shit. And the thing is, the story on the whole shits on psyops any day of the week, like by a massive margin. It does. It does. But the funny thing was, I had forgotten that like John Vatic isn't, he is better than Nick Scryer but like not by that much. And I agree. He's, he's kind of whiny and annoying. I mean, I know that he's been deprived of his identity and the, and the clothes, the clothes on his back, <laughs> but you know, he just, yeah, he, he's sort of vaguely annoying and does that thing of repeating. It's the fact that he's confused all the time. <laughs> which I know is the whole plot also when he screams in pain uh, when he, whenever, he, whenever he clutches his head and um, discovers it, whenever his head hurts basically he screams
2: uh,
1: but unfortunately uh, for me uh, and for anyone out there uh, he sounds just like Nigel Thornbury from the Wild Thornberry's <laughs> and if you if, <laughs> if, and the thing is once you realize that it's you can't really recover from that certainly I, I, I couldn't it's proper like <laughs> uh, yeah rough stuff rough stuff Oh, excellent uh,
0: so that is what we thought of the story uh, and the characters of a second sight so now we are in our little miscellaneous section where we add anything that we didn't add earlier in the podcast. And Adam Carroll, tell us what, tell the listeners at home, what have you written here in our document?
2: Callum, do you know what? You have a point after me, right? And I think the way we should do this is I'll just say that my line and you immediately say yours and then we'll discuss. Okay. Every character model looks like a fish.
0: Nobody has teeth.
2: I, I'm not into it. I'm not into the, the style of the characters. It's, and everybody is just bug-eyed and everything is kind of large, but narrow. I, 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 it's just, it's, it's a style of that time. It never went down any further, I don't think. I just don't think it works. It kind of kills some moments in the game because some of the characters, like when they turn, they just look at the You're just like, ah, oh, Jesus, look at the state of this. It's, I don't think this game looks Phenomenal in that sense, um, and when Colin, when you said nobody has teeth, I I couldn't agree more. Nobody fucking has teeth. I don't know what's happening. Once you notice it,
0: <laughs> you will never not like. Genuinely, people are flapping their gums, and you know there's no pearly whites or even off white, no color uh, inside. Just the, the it, just a black hole, a black abyss <laughs> inside in their gobs. But I will say. I quite like the style of Second Sight because to me that, well, I guess it looks like time splitters really, <laughs> but like I, I was going to say there's, you know, you, if I look at a screenshot of Second Sight, I'm like, oh, well that's Second Sight. Like I can instantly tell that's what it is. I I I get what you're
2: saying. Yeah. Like it has its identity to, like in, in, in the visual side, there's no two ways about it, but just. Just doesn't look great, regardless of the the character the character models and stuff. The actual overall color tones and stuff, even though they're pretty drab, it just works. It works for what the game is. Through all the games that we've talked about in the podcast so far, I will say that I do think that this game could could do with a remaster.
0: Well, that brings us nicely onto Josh's point. I think because. The likelihood of a remaster of Second Sight, well, slim and none come to mind because at the tail end of last year, Free Radical Design closed its doors. And I know you wanted to talk about that and just the developer in a wider sense as well.
1: Yeah, yeah out of their hands unfortunately was it t- was it embracer or Tencent?
0: embracer
1: yeah and a load of shitty redundancies uh like of days before bloody christmas yeah that it was a real shame because they brought they brought Ellis and Doke back and they were working on time splitters and all that sort of stuff but i do and and that would have been great oh i love bloody love time splitters and and i love second sight and i remember talking to david doke about it and it was I spoke to him when Embracer when they had announced I think Kosh Media had bought the rights to all the time splitters and second site IP and, and it was and and they'd let it be known that they were doing another time splitters, they were bringing it back in some capacity. But he he had not yet been brought on board and they hadn't properly reunited Free Radical yet. And I remember him saying when he had heard about that and he'd sort of emailed them to say, you know, good luck, basically. Um but he t- he said to me that he'd rather second sight than time splitters, which really stuck out to me at the time and i guess the thing was he said everyone the thing is everyone loved time splitters, so you you sort of kick your you, you, you got your work cut out for you when you're doing a you know uh, a remake of something that's really beloved whereas he, you know he, he was sort of saying second sight kind of deserves a remake more because there's a lot there that can be coaxed out if you can iron out the finicky and I think and even said to me um that that was the whole thing psyops had the controls we had the story but psyops had the controls and it's very true and I and I agree with you I think yeah something like even 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 if it's yeah like a I'd say a remaster maybe just a, a remake or something there's a lot in second sight that could be polished up and tweaked and uh,
0: unless something changes between us recording this and the listener listening to it I'd be pretty surprised if we ever guess. A second sight remake? now. Oh yeah,
1: I, I would have. I would think that's that's probably not going to happen. I you, you'd need someone to to pick pick up to pick up time splitters first. They need a whole lot of momentum. Yeah, yeah. it's probably the last we've seen of John Vatic. I think.
0: So that is what we thought of second sight. So we are going to take a quick break, and then we are going to sum up our thoughts on John Vatic. So we'll be back right after this musical interlude. Alright then, it is time for The Verdict. This is the part of the show where, indeed, as I said, we sum up our thoughts on the game. But you know what? Just before that, I want to know what some critics were saying about Second Sight in 2004. I want to know what the critics were saying when the game came out out. Uh, Our first review here is from Brad Shoemaker of GameSpot, who gave Second Sight 7.5 out of 10.
1: And they said, quote, It's got some flaws and it's not very long or replayable. You'll probably finish in 12 to 15 hours without much incentive to go back to the beginning but it's fun while it lasts. Russ
0: Fisher of Games Buy gave Second Sight four out of five and they said,
2: quote, Sure, it's clunky and awkward at times, but the inspiration almost always shines through.
0: For Electronic Gaming Monthly, who would have had three Reviewers, um, reviewing it for them were John Dudlack, Matt Leone, and John Riccardi, and the average of their three scores would have been six point five. And a quote from one of the reviews,
1: quote This game combines the best parts of time splitters, huge levels, fluid controls, and gorgeous art, throws in surprisingly satisfying stealth gameplay that's not overly complex and then adds one of the most compelling video game narratives in recent memory.
0: Joe Rybecki of Official PlayStation Magazine US gave Second Sight 4 out of 5, and they said, quote,
2: If you're looking for a finely crafted, thought-provoking story to go with your psychic phenomena, look no further than Second Sight.
0: And finally, Joe Juba of Game Informer gave the game 8.5
1: out of 10, and they said, quote, Even with some unpolished technical aspects, the way the story unfolds is innovative and engaging, and the number of ways around each problem is impressive. You won't find as many staggeringly awesome moments as PsyOps, but it is certainly an inventive and unique stealth game in its own right.
0: But lads, on this podcast, if I've told you once, I've told you 27 times, I think. None of those (laughs) opinions matter on this podcast because the only opinions that matter here are Adam's, Josh's and mine as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Second Sight. Uh, So how this works is that each of us will sum up our thoughts and then give Second Sight a rating out of three. The ratings are as follows. A pass, a play or, the top marks, an espionage explosion. We changed the order of ratings givers on each episode and this week the order is as follows. It is Josh, Column, and then Adam. So let's give our final ratings of Second Sight. Josh Wise, take it away.
1: I'm gonna say play. Uh, for sort of similar reasons to PsyOps. I think in PsyOps the uh, telekinesis and all around mayhem silliness pushes it over the edge. And in second sight, I'd say like the story and the ever so slight like subtlety and variation of the mechanics kind of push it over the edge and the kind of nice free radical vibe, artwork, music. I just, I love that studio. Um, and, and miss them very much. And there's just a lot of personality here. The controls are silly, and the camera's finicky and it doesn't always feel very good there's some clunky herky jerky stuff going on um but yeah it's sh- it's a lovely little sort of slice of pulp sci fi stealth action if you're a you know fan of Metal Gear christ is it was, it was like two pounds on steam or something ridiculous pick 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 it up. Put, you know and that'll be you sorted out for a rainy saturday afternoon one day when you have got nothing better to do you'd be loving it
0: i'm up next and i have used yeah the word decent and all right and all that throughout this podcast when talking about the stealth yeah i think the stealth is, is yeah pretty decent and the stealthy powers are quite light i i, I really like charm and i like i preferred how possession is handled here versus psyops. The, the, yeah, the boom boom powers are 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 rough, but I, I I don't know. I I think the guns are okay. Again, I think they're better than um than psyops. And the story is, I mean, miles better than psyops. And I I think the story is, yeah, it's just great mystery throughout. Like, I think Second Sight is an example where it is greater than the sum of its parts. Like. A lot of it is, you know, decent to all right to okay. And maybe it's propped up by the occasional thing here or there. And they come together to create something that 20 years after its release almost, hold up pretty well. One final thing, actually. Uh, When I spoke about PSYOPs, I said one thing I found difficult when playing PSYOPs was a drive to play Psyops when I wasn't playing Psyops. I don't know why I just, when I sh- shut it down and, and like if I tried to come back the next day, I was like, oh, it was just one of those games where I was like, I can't find myself uh, pushing myself to play the game. Whereas with Second Sight, I was like, here we go, baby. John Vanick, let's do this. Uh, Second Sight for me is a play, Adam Carroll. What say you on Second Sight?
2: So I was talking to a buddy the other night about this and I was saying how like playing PSYOPs and Second Sight has been a, quite an experience. And he responded with is which one is Second Sight which one is PSYOPs because that's what everyone does for some reason. They go, is it the one with the red cover where your man holding the head? You have to explain each <laughs> game every time. It's <laughs> hilarious. But anyway, I think playing these games back to back was an absolute journey. Like, because going in before playing both, I'm like, yeah, second sight jazz, I was always second sight fellow, whatever. And obviously on on the PsyOps episode, I gave that uh, a play, um, which was quite surprising. I was like, Oh, okay, I actually had a bit of fun with that. Second sight, I'm going in going, Can't wait, this is I just remember a lot of good things, so I thought, and all this kind of jazz. Um what you said a while ago, Colin, was you you had you found it difficult to get get back to PsyOps. I kind of felt that way with second sight. And I think it just comes down to the fact that like I did not think the gameplay was all that. I think it it just It doesn't it doesn't cut through enough at all. I think like and the powers we discussed are weak. They're weak and they're not like it's not they're not really fun. And like it's and coming off of side stop. There's a lot of fun in that sense. Gunplay, not great as well. It's just like, OK. And really, it's the story that just kept me going. And I was kind of like, all right. I felt most of my time in Second Sight was a lot of like, what's this about? What's going on here? Why is this the case? Blah, 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 blah. Story, though, is not bad. Kind of keeping with the story. For me, it's a pass, and it kind of bums me out a small bit, because I was damn excited for Second Sight. Um, Yeah, bit of a bummer. Cool story, though. So
0: that is what we thought of Second Sight. But forget about it right now, because we need to turn our attention to the next game we're going to be discussing on Stealth Boom Boom, because... On the next episode, we're going to be looking at a game that Doug Perry of IGN, he said about this game, quote, Yes, Metal Gear Solid and Tenchu are awesome games, but this is different. It blends even more game aspects into its core to make it something special. Next Generation Magazine said this one has quote unique gameplay, a tight story, and some genuinely exciting moments. And Jeff Gorsman of GameSpot said quote while there's something to be said for pure originality in game design, games are more often than not a collection of proven ideas from previous titles put together and given a new face. This game just about perfects this concept. Some really high praise for this playstation one exclusive yes yes on the next episode of stealth boom boom we're going to be discussing reviewing dissecting siphon filter gabe logan is back well, he's not back he's, this is from 20 years ago he's still dead for us he's back we're going to be talking about him in 2024 20 years ago 25 years ago actually is when the first Siphon Filter came out Josh do you have experience with the original Siphon Filter? I bloody love the
1: original Siphon Filter
0: yeah 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 Adam have you any previous with Siphon Filter?
2: If I'm honest, right, there was three demos in, 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 in my life that I played to date. It was Metal Gear Solid, Tony Hawk 2 and Siphon Filter. I When I first played Siphon Filter, it blew my mind. It's been years since I played it, but I do recall... Re- now, this isn't a 2nd side situation. I remember Siphon Filter and I loved it. Mm.
0: Hmm. Uh, I played Siphon Filter back in the day. Yeah, I also played it first on a demo. I think that, that was on OPM, and then I I rented it and I hated it. So I'm looking forward oh. to playing it again and seeing what it's like 25 years after the fact. So yeah, if you want to play along at home, grab Siphon Filter. Yeah, but well, unless you have a PlayStation and original copy, easiest way to play it is via the PlayStation. Network or PlayStation Plus. Plenty of ways to play along at home. So get that played and come back to us in two weeks' time when we will be talking about. Yeah, Gabe Logan. Exciting. <laughs> so, yes, that just about does it. ...for this episode of Stealth Boom Boom. Thank you very much, dear listener, for listening. Of course, if you liked this podcast and you want more, then please do subscribe to our lovely little podcast via all of your podcatching apps, including but not limited to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Pocket etc., etc. And also, if you can, please do review us on your podcast platform of choice... Um, it, it genuinely helps And we also then may read your review Out on the show Which is something I've started to do here In, uh, in year two Couple of reviews One here from Melatonin1 Who uh, they reviewed it. They said Excellent podcast Which takes a look at both old and modern games In an interesting and often very funny way Highly recommended often very funny. Not Not always. always. Not always. Not going to give those bastards big heads. (laughs) Thank you very much, Melatonin1. We're obviously only, we're joshing you, which is very apt for my Mm. co-host. But look, why not have another here? This is a review from J. Ray Joseph, and they said five stars, a stealth espionage explosion of humour, camaraderie, and good-spirited analysis. Well, there's a glowing review. Thank you very much, J. Ray Joseph. Review us on your as I said your your podcast platform of choice and then we may read those uh, words out at the end of the show if you want to follow stealth boom boom on social media you can do so at stealth boom boom and you can follow us as well I am at column underscore Hearn Adam is at Adam Zoaks and Josh is at Joshi. Wise, but now, now it is time for my least favorite part of the show, because this is the part of the show where we must bid the listener adieu. So say goodbye, Adam Carroll. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Josh Wise. Bye. And say goodbye, Colin O'Hearn, Sloan Guffol.